want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. We'll be there in a few minutes, and later we'll be in Luke chapter 15. We've been in this series, Whatever It Takes, asking ourselves, what would it be like if we would be a church that's committed to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus? We've been saying this impact declaration together for the last number of weeks, and, and I want you to read it out loud with me as it's on the screen. Let's say it together one more time. I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. I will disciple someone and allow someone to disciple me. I will be generous and faithful in giving to others. I will share Christ through my words and actions. To this end, my mind is set, my heart is humble, and my hands are ready, for I am part of a church committed to doing whatever it takes. Last week, we keyed in on what it would look like for us to be generous and faithful in giving to others. Some of you took me up on a $20 challenge where you were given $20 and you were to invest that in the kingdom. And if you're one of those people and you're here today, uh, would you stand and come forward? I want to hear one word or one sentence. Come on forward. Come right on up. One word or one sentence of how you invested that. Now, I had a couple people uh, let me know they couldn't be here today. Uh, sometimes it's amazing when, when you're asked to, to speak in front of people. That's the day you get sick. That's okay. Uh, I told them when their email testimony comes in, I'll share that for them. But uh, share with us, how did it go? What did you do with the $20? Um, I bought two of my teachers lunch at school, and then with the rest, I bought show choir candy and gave it out to people. Amen. Good job. Thank you for sharing. Good job. Um, I helped a struggling friend get some food, so... Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. You know, it's, yeah, give them a hand. You know, it's, it's one thing to take $20 from your pastor on Sunday when you didn't expect to get anything from him and go give it away. I mean, that seems somewhat easy. But this is exactly what God has done when he's entrusted all the resources to us, our time, our talent, our treasure. And when we give them away, we are just stewarding what he's given to us. Today we're going to key in on what it would be like if we would do whatever it takes to share Christ through our words and actions. As we do this today, I feel like we need to look at a word, extravagance. I want us to explore extravagance together. The definition of extravagant here is, we see it's an adjective, going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Exceeding the bounds of reason. Wandering beyond the bounds or beyond limits. Spending much more than what is necessary. This is what extravagant means, according to the dictionary. Do you like to be extravagant? Do you like to indulge every once in a while? I don't know what extravagant looks like for you. Maybe it's just getting that second scoop of ice cream. I mean, that is extravagant. That's just like going over the top. Maybe it's when you spring and and you just buy a new pair of shoes and you just go for it. Uh, Maybe it's you're buying a new car and you add into that package the the built-in GPS. I mean, that's extravagant for you. I don't know what is extravagant. In fact, right now, take about 30 seconds to the person to your left or your right. Ask them this question. What is the most extravagant thing that you have done lately? I want you to think about it and uh, ask that other person and share with them. What is the most extravagant thing that you have done lately? On your marks, get set, go. Hear that quiet roar of extravagant talk. Uh, I'm not sure what it is that you just shared or what you just heard, but extravagant 
is a relative term. I mean, compared to what or compared to who? My guess is what you just heard or what you just shared is a little bit different than some of these examples. Extravagance looked different for this guy. Rapper turned actor Will Smith reportedly had enough cash to shell out $2,500 a month to Cesar Milan, a.k.a. the Dog Whisperer, to provide canine counseling for his four Rottweilers. That's pretty extravagant. I love my dog, but she's not getting counseling. It's not happening. (laughs) Extravagance. While unpacking for a charity show, of all things, in Italy, U2's Bono realized that he forgot his favorite hat. To to prevent it from being crushed in the UPS or FedEx overnight, he spent $1,700 to have it flown from London via British Airways in its own first-class airline seat. The hat got its own plane ticket. That's kind of extravagant. Uh, The Beatles' John Lennon reportedly paid $13,000 to rent the entire first-class cabin of a jetliner so he and his son could set up their new model train and have some playtime together on the way to his next gig. You've heard of people who have money to burn. Well, British pop duo KLF piled $1.7 million on a bonfire and then lit it on fire just because they could. That's kind of extravagant. It kind of makes what you just shared seem a little silly, doesn't it? Extravagance is a relative term, and, and extravagance is not always a bad thing. Extravagant acts like I just read to you seem absurd because they focus so much on ourselves and they seem so pointless and self-centered. Extravagance is only nauseating when it's inward-focused. Let's think for a minute about a uh, popular TV show of a few years back. Anybody remember the show Extreme Home Makeover? Anybody remember that? This show where Ty Pennington hosts this extravagant intervention for families in need of a new home for one good reason or another. Homes were built with overly spacious floor plans, top-of-the-line appliances, entertainment systems, designer decor, and even elevators in some of these houses. Often the show goes beyond its name of extreme home makeover and would provide transportation for the family and even quality education for the kids so they could go to college someday. Extravagance, in this sense, is is not nauseating. It's not turn-off, but it is attracting. It has got a great, sweet aroma to it because it's not extravagantly inward. It's extravagantly outward. It's because of this extravagance that we see an inspiration and motivation and even encouragement when someone is giving to others in that way. Extravagant, this adjective, going beyond what is deserved or justifiable, exceeding the bounds of reason, wandering beyond limits. You know, I think that's a picture of God's love for us. I'll write this in in your notes if, if you're taking notes. God's love is extravagant. Now think about it. You and I don't deserve it. It doesn't make any economic sense for God to send his son to die for someone like you or me. It's not justified. It's not within reason. It's way beyond the bounds of what should be some kind of guideline or limit. It's an extravagant love that God has for us when he gave his son, Jesus. For us to share Christ through our words and actions, to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. 
We need to have this kind of extravagant response outwardly about God's love that was so extravagantly given to us. For God's love to reach across town, it's got to flow out of us first. We can't just expect that somehow this will happen. God has chosen us, the church, the body of believers. Each of us is a carrier of the Great Commission, the good news, to extravagantly give his love to people around us. Far too often, we soak up, we stockpile, we splash around in God's love and his blessings that he's lavished upon us. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's love for us. There's nothing wrong with basking in his mercy and his grace. In fact, in John 10.10, Jesus promises that we'll have life abundant, overflowing, this extravagant life. But the problem is, is when we live extravagantly inward. God doesn't want us to bottle up his love, his grace, his blessings, his mercy he's given to us, and selfishly keep them for our own gain. He wants us to extravagantly give them away to people around us. Let's pause for a minute and turn to Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to look at an extravagantly inward story. It's Jonah's story. Jonah has a lot to teach us about God's love. And and so let's look to that. You know the story of Jonah and the whale. Some of you learned this on a flannel graph with the flannel board and all that kind of stuff. Others have no idea what that is. You learned this from VeggieTales or from something else. Some have just read it in, in your Bible before you. But this is a familiar story. You may not know some of the background or history of Jonah. He was an experienced, trusted prophet of Israel. God had spoke to him and through him many times before. He had a high place of influence in Israel, and he came from a great family heritage. He was one of the cream of the crop. God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to preach to them. Now, Nineveh, this was a constant dreaded enemy for Israel. They were characterized by their wickedness and their lack of morals. This was not a good place to go. It would make Las Vegas or Sin City seem like nothing compared to what was happening in the city of Nineveh. Jonah, as you remember in the story, he argues with God and and he doesn't want to go where God's telling him to go. I don't want to go to that place, God. I'll do whatever you want, but not there. And so he ends up running from God and he goes 1,900 miles in the opposite direction. He literally goes as far as he knows on the known map away from God that he can get to not do what he was asked to do. You remember this famous storm on the sea that happens while Jonah's in the boat fleeing from God. Jonah realizes that God is sending punishment for his disobedience. And Jonah tells the crew on the ship, throw me overboard. It's better for me to lose my life than everybody to to pay for this sin that I've committed running from God. And so they take him up on it. They're like, sure, that's fine. They throw him overboard. And out of God's grace and mercy... God sends this big fish to swallow him up. You remember this. From the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out to the Lord, and he repents, and he agrees to go to Nineveh. Now Jonah, who is reluctant but obedient, goes to Nineveh, and he preaches to them, calling them to turn from their sin. He calls for them to repent and reminds them of what consequences there will be if they do not turn from their sin. After Jonah had been preaching for over a month, The people of Nineveh became broken, broken in repentance, and they 
start to repent and turn from their wicked ways. That's the story of Jonah that we've heard. That's the one that we have sung songs about. That's the one that cartoons have been made about. And, and, and that's good up to that point. But my favorite part, and I think some of the best stuff from this story, hasn't even been talked about yet. I want us to look at where the really good stuff comes in. You see, you would think that after Jonah was preaching this good news and the people repented and turned from their wicked ways, that he would be pleased by the repentance, right? Wrong. Jonah was not excited that the people repented and turned from their sin. Look in your Bible at Jonah chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Some pretty serious words. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, he said. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, and I am angry enough to die. I mean, how many times does this guy have to threaten his anger with his own life? He is not a happy camper. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Jonah was angry with God because he never really loved the people that he was preaching to. I mean, he... He kind of did the technical obedient thing, but he never really loved the people he was preaching to. Jonah was more concerned about losing his shade tree, his comfort, than the very loss of the souls around him. I mean, how could Jonah act like that? How could he be so crass and insensitive and lacking compassion? Do we ever act like that? Those homeless people. If they would just try to get a job, then maybe I'd want to help them out a little bit. So lazy. That addict. If he cared half as much about his family as he does about his own addiction, then maybe I'd want to help him out a little bit. I cannot believe the audacity of that person who made so many bad choices to come back and now want help. They should know better. God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? It's amazing at the things that can go through our mind when we begin to think like Jonah. Jonah was an obedient man of God. 
God had spoke to him and through him before. But he did not live and he did not love extravagantly outward. Just like Jonah, we have it made in the shade. We are so comfortable. We are are so compelled to stay in our own interests that we get lost in the shade and we never see what it is that God is calling us to. We somewhere camp outside east of the city and we begin to sit back and watch what God is going to do and bring judgment on all those God-forsaken, no-good people. Oh, would God send us a worm to chew away at our own comfort zones, to chew away at our own shade tree, and give us some kind of burning passion for what He cares about. God said, Jonah, you care so much about this dumb vine that brought you comfort. You didn't tend to it. You didn't make it grow. It came up overnight and it died overnight. But look at all these people that I've created. The comfort that you and I experience... In the body of Christ, we we didn't tend to it. We didn't make it grow. God has chosen to bless us with it. And we get so caught up on what we want and what we want to experience, it's so easy to miss what God wants us to see. We can be blinded by our comfort just like Jonah was blinded by his comfort. You see, God is asking for more than just technical obedience. More than just, okay, I'll go to them and I'll tell them how dirty, rotten they are. I'll preach the good news. But we are called to love the people that we share the good news with. God is asking for more than just a shell of obedience. He's asking for total obedience to allow Him to break our heart for what breaks His heart. Just like Jonah, many of us, or either in the running from God's stage, you may be here today, and you won't be able to hear anything else that I'm saying because you are on the ship going 1,900 miles in the opposite direction of what God has called you to. And until you stop and say, God, I'm going to surrender, it's better for me to jump off this ship and allow whatever's going to happen to happen than to continue to try to run from you. You will not be able to even hear the rest of what I'm saying. But God has hope for you. When you turn to Him, when you repent, He will give mercy and grace. He wants to bring you back in. He wants you to be obedient. But there's a huge chunk of us who are obedient. And we said, okay, God, I will go to Nineveh. I will talk about you. I will witness about you. I'll be a light and shine about you. But I'm not going to like those people. I'm sure not going to love them. In fact, don't get me excited about hoping that they don't get what they deserve. This is what Jonah dealt with. This wasn't the first time that religious people needed a wake-up call to live extravagantly outward. We need to hear Jesus' words that he gave to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees how to live this extravagant life. And so look with me at an extravagantly outward story. These are Jesus' parables that we know just as well. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teacher of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the tone, the the, the setting for this passage of scripture where we find these famous parables, is all the 
sinners and the church people alike were gathered together, and the church people were muttering and getting upset. He's hanging out with riffraff. He's talking to the wrong people. He's mixing with the wrong crowd. And Jesus so eloquently begins to teach from these three parables. First, it's a story of the lost sheep, and then the lost coin, and then the lost son. Look with me at the first uh, parable here, verse 3 of chapter 15. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, you do the math. If a sheep is worth $100, you know, and some of you are more qualified to talk about the value of livestock. I don't know how much a sheep is worth. But let's just pretend it's worth $100. Does it really make any economic sense to risk $9,900 in livestock to predators while you spend hours and maybe days searching for a $100 sheep? What was Jesus' point? Jesus' point here was that God wants us to be extravagant in seeking his lost sheep. He wants us to go over and above the limits, to, to go beyond the bounds, to spend more than what's necessary to seek his lost sheep. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, or in our case, the the church-going people, do you really care about the sheep? Do we really care about the people in our community? Do we really care about those who are far from God? Jesus has a couple thoughts for us in this parable. It's one about risk. We are called to take a risk. If we are going to do whatever it takes to share Christ through our words and actions, some of us need to let the shade tree be cleared away. We need to take a risk, get out of our comfort zone. It's going to cost us something if we are going to go to somebody and love them extravagantly with the love of Jesus. Also, Jesus wants us to know that what was lost was so valuable This is why it's worth the risk. This is why it's something that we have to press out and do. Jesus goes on with the second parable to the Pharisees. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Yes, she does. And when she finds it, She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When she found the lost coin, she celebrated with her friends. You see, God is calling us. He wants us to rejoice in every lost person's return. And that's a big part of what we do here on the weekend, and and we come to this candle each and every week, whether I walk over here and talk about it or not, we are reminded that for us, this symbolizes the light of Jesus coming on in somebody's life. And when we're able to light it, we are to celebrate what God is doing in their life. I'm excited to report to you that last Sunday morning, after this service, we had another man 
accept Jesus for the first time and the light of Jesus came on in his life for the very first time. I appreciate your applause. I appreciate your heart of celebration. But you need to know that as much as you muster up celebration, that is puny compared to what is happening in heaven when one child comes home. Jesus said, I celebrate more about one lost sheep coming home than 99 church people who don't even need to repent. Because they are so valuable to me. Because it it is worth the risk to bring my son or my daughter home. That leads to the last parable that Jesus gives here in, in Luke 15. It's the parable of the lost son. You know this one well, the prodigal son. See, God wants us to embrace his vision for our community the way he is teaching in Luke chapter 15. And, and I'm going to paraphrase this, and, and you can look at it in your Bible. And from this parable, it gives three distinct ways that we need to engage people around us. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees, this is how you live extravagantly outward. This is how you do whatever it takes to share the good news through your words and actions. You know the story. The son had left home and took all of his inheritance before his father died, dishonored his family, drugged the family, named through the mud, wasted all his inheritance, lost all of his possessions, lost all of his friends. Then it says he was there eating with the pigs, and he begins to rehearse his prayer, even my father's hired hands live better than I do. And and so he's going to go home and ask if he could just be a servant, and, and not worthy to be a son, but I'll be a servant. And we see here, that the father was waiting patiently in this parable every single night for his son's return. God wants us to see that he is calling us to have eyes to watch for the lost. Who is it in your circle of influence that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to give you eyes to see them differently? You are waiting patiently for a moment where they are open to the good news of the Lord Jesus. You're waiting to see when they are are ready to hear and receive the, the hope that you have in your life. Are you looking for any opportunity or are you blinded by your own comfort like Jonah? The scripture tells us that one night the father who was waiting as he did each and every night, he saw his son from a long way off and he ran to his son. He ran to his son. God wants us to embrace his vision of loving people around us by having feet to run to those who are lost. Not only do we see them and we are looking for those who need Jesus, but we won't say, well, why don't you just come here? I'm going to run and get close to you. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. And when Jesus tells the story of the father who ran to the son. The father didn't run up to the son, meet him on the road and say, I am so ticked off at you. I told you not to do this. You just need to know what you have done has hurt me. What you have done is unacceptable. The father ran to the son and threw his arms around him and embraced him and celebrated his return. God is calling us To not only have eyes to watch for the lost around us, feet to run to them, but arms to embrace them with the extravagant love that our God has loved us with. Now hear this. 
A heart that loves like this will find a thousand ways to do this. But a heart that doesn't will find a thousand excuses. Will you do whatever it takes to share Christ through your words and actions? What can you do to have eyes to watch and feet to run and arms to embrace the lost around you? It's time that we stop with the excuses and we start looking for ways that you and I can be the answer to somebody's hope or prayer. What God was saying to Jonah was that I have loved you with an undeserved, unjustified, extravagant love. But when I asked you to love my people in Nineveh, you were more concerned about your comfort and about your own life than their very soul. They are valuable to me, therefore they need to be valuable to you, Jonah. What Jesus was saying to the Pharisees was that I have come to seek and to save the lost. The lost are valuable to me. They warrant an all-out search. And when the lost is found, celebrate that. Lost people matter to me, therefore they matter to you if you love me. For us to share Christ through our words and actions, something needs to break loose, friends. If we are to live extravagantly outward, if we are to share Christ through our words and actions, something needs to change in our heart. When you walked in today, most of you, if not all of you, were offered to take a penny. If you got that, just pull it out and hold it in your hand. I was reading a story that spoke to me this week. A godly man who pastored an extravagantly outward church in Cincinnati for many years. His name is Pastor Steve Shogren. As you hold that penny in your hand, I want you to listen to his thoughts of how God spoke to him one day in his pastoral ministry there in Cincinnati. Frustrated with the pressures of ministry, one day Pastor Steve decided to clear his mind and take a break for lunch and make a run for the border to his local Taco Bell in his town. In the silence, between shouting his order into the microphone and the drive through and the long wait to get his food, God spoke to Pastor Steve. It wasn't an audible voice. It was more of a mental whisper. God said, open the door. I have a present for you. Feeling a little bit silly, Steve stopped the car, opened his door, and looked to the ground to see below was an old penny that was pushed into the pavement. Gee, thanks, he thought sarcastically as he bent down to pluck this penny from the soft asphalt and pull it up. God's voice began to speak again. In the world's eyes, a lot of people in our community who you are called to reach is a lot like this penny. They are flawed. They are imperfect. They are scarred. They are tarnished. They are shoved aside. and In some cases, they are blatantly disregarded. Even churches don't see much value in them. Through some eyes, they may look shabby or worthless, but to me, they are just like you, Steve. They are precious beyond measure. No matter if they are shiny and clean or scarred and tarnished, each penny has stamped on it the image of one of this country's greatest presidents, one of this country's greatest kings, if you will. Each person you lock eyes with, No matter how tarnished, how scarred, how dirty, how worn they are, stamped on their very being is the image of the King of Kings. For every person you see is created by God Almighty. They are valuable to me just as you are valuable to me. 
as I read that, it, it tugged on my heart. As you hold this penny in your hand, you may be like me. I don't like pennies very much. I could do without them. I don't understand why we still make these. You can't buy a lot for a penny. Nobody gives me a sale where it's a penny less and I get excited. Let's just go ahead and go to the nickel. I mean, why do we need the penny? The penny you have may be shiny and new. Somebody has a 2013 penny over here. She told me about it. And that's exciting. Some may have a scarred, tarnished one like mine. Mine's got gum on the back, I think. It's kind of gross. There's a lot of people in your life around you that feel pushed to the side, that feel insignificant. They're scarred, they're worn, they feel messed up, but yet deep inside of their very being is the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God has created them, and He sees value in them. And because He values them, we are called to value them. It is my prayer for us that we would allow God to stir our heart, to share Christ through our words and actions at whatever cost. I want to invite you to stand with me today. And as we get ready to dismiss and we think about the word that God has for us today, I want to ask you to obey God right now. Uh, Some practical applications. You've already heard about Fall Festival Fam Jam. This is a great opportunity to invite somebody to come to a gathering where they can meet some of your brothers and sisters here at Grace Point. Uh, You've heard us talk about Back to Church Sunday. In your bulletin, this card, if you would take this and pray about who you could give it to and invite to come to our community. It's a postcard that's blank. You could put their address on it, write them a note, and, and send them an invitation and say, Hey, I'd love for you to come back to Grace Point. I'd love for you to come check out the church that I'm a part of. And those are good, and I'm going to ask you to do that with me. But to be honest, if that's all we do, it's, it's meaningless. Because God needs to change something in our heart. Jonah was a godly man who had heard from God many times before. God used him to speak to people in his community. He was a respected leader in his community. And he even turned away from that disobedience of of running from God and went to Nineveh and he gave a shell of obedience, but he never loved the people he was preaching to. Would you ask God with me to break your heart and my heart for the people in our community? Help us to live extravagantly outward. We we will not waste our life and our resources on ourselves, but we will give over and above without limits to those around us. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would remind us every time that we see a penny around us of how you spoke to Pastor Steve and how you see value in people around us that many just push aside. I pray that you would Give us eyes to watch for those who are hurting and who are lost around us. Give us feet to meet them right where they are at and run to them, not to wait. And Father, when we get there, help us replace whatever judgmental words we feel like we need to say and embrace them with your love. Father, I pray that you would break the grip of an extravagantly inward addiction to self 
and begin to displace it with an extravagantly outward display of your love that you've given for us. I ask these things, Father, in your Son's powerful name. Amen and amen. May God bless you. As you go today, go in obedience. Ask God, God, who is it that I could go to and love on in your name? See you tonight. We'll meet in the youth center, and we're going to learn about how we can stand strong in the storms of life together. Have a great afternoon. God bless you.